0: Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co founder of MAPT, who has 20 years' experience in the pre med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly QA we do live exclusively for our MAPT members. And this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge i'll start with the first one here student asked i am interested in a scribe position that is open at an orthopedic private practice near my school i talked with another student who scribes there and she said that when you have been there for a while you get to do more hands-on tasks such as assisting with injections putting on casts etc as well as taking history of the patients before the doctor comes in she said they train you over time. Do you know if legally this is within the scope of practice for a scribe? How would this impact? Uh, and then the rest of the question is cut off. So, um, Scott, what do you what do you think about this? Or is this a more of a doctor question? You're muted,
1: Scott. You go. Well, you're, uh, you're fixed now. That's that's the first thought that came to my mind. Is I wonder if there's like some legal requirements here that. I, I don't know the answer to the question, but it it, it I, I wonder about that. What do you think, Ryan?
0: Um I am Googling real quick. So it, it there's always legal stuff around medical procedures yeah, and, and yeah. doing things. Um yeah. there obviously is uh some some concerns around whether or not the the physician's malpractice insurance covers someone else doing the injections or helping with Mm -hmm. injections or whatever Mm -hmm. um i i think as a as a scribe i would tend to probably lean on the if the physician is letting you then they're most likely comfortable with whatever their their um kind of legal ramifications are uh the, I I know here in Colorado where I am, you don't have to have any sort of license or certificate or anything to be a medical assistant. Um, and so maybe that's the same in Colorado and it's, it's just, or in Texas and it's just kind of on the job training. So, um, I, I don't know. I I think as, um, I'm sorry,
1: go ahead. I I think this, (laughs) I think this student for sure should check with, you know, do a Google about their state requirements and see what they can find there about the government. that would be good,
0: yeah, check of the state legal requirements um that's what i was I was googling to see if I could find something, but uh-'cause they
1: don't really say what state they're from, do they
0: it was Texas, I think oh, it was. I don't know why i thought texas i thought i saw dallas somewhere but i don't see that now maybe it was another no. question i saw yeah. um yeah they didn't say what state so check okay. and and find out uh i i think really at the end of the day it's going to be a comfort level uh, i think obviously every student no matter where you're at whether you're, even if you're in medical school you need to understand your own limitations and your own comfort level. And if you don't think you are trained well enough to do something that somebody's asking you to do, you say, I I need more help with this. I'm not I'm not ready to do this by myself. I, I think yeah. you have to be self-aware in that respect. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And you know, the other thing, and this this, you know, I, I think that you know, if a patient sued the practice, they could also sue everyone individually. So they could sue the student individually. And, and this could be an expensive ordeal if something went wrong and, you know, and and you end up on a lawsuit as an individual and their malpractice isn't covering you because you weren't, tra- you know, certified or whatever. I mean, boy, I just see lots of red flags here. I, I don't know why, but it just it makes me very, un- very uncomfortable.
0: Makes sense. Money money, and being sued is not uh, everyone's yeah. first cup of tea there. Exactly. Uh, another student here saying, I remembered in one episode that Dr. Gray said that we can consider crisis text line as clinical volunteering. They are currently closed now, but I found another opportunity called Seven Cups that looks like they are providing a similar service as a crisis text line. Can I put this as clinical volunteering or not? No. So, <laughs> Seems pretty straightforward. If I said it was clinical volunteering and this is something similar, then
1: most likely, yeah, yeah, yeah. sounds sounds like it to me.
0: Yeah, and really, the the crisis text lines. I, I think normally non COVID times probably not the best clinical experience, but during COVID, when there's not a lot else out there, then then go for it. Uh, and obviously, without knowing what Seven Cups is, and without knowing specifically right. what you're doing, I can't really speak too much about it. Right. So, uh, another question here: If you apply through AMCAS, so this is a good good one for you, Scott, because this is some Texas right. stuff here. If you apply through AMCAS to a few allopathic schools and don't get accepted in that cycle, then in your next attempts, you decide to reapply only to Texas schools through TMDSAS. The best application service, of course. Uh, and no schools outside of Texas in the second attempt. In this second attempt, are you considered a reapplicant or a first-time applicant since you're applying through a different application system? And is there a place to mention that you're a reapplicant?
1: Yeah, it, it asks you the the TMDSAS a- application asks you if you've ever applied to any medical school. And so, you know, obviously, you're going to want to answer yes, and that this is, you know, second attempt. And they're, they're they're going to ask where you applied previously. And so, um, you know, I don't. The reapplicants are not disadvantaged, yeah. as you know. so, I don't think you need to be concerned about that. But definitely, you want to answer uh, realistically and. Uh, and answer um honestly
0: yeah yeah I, I i don't know where this kind of myth perpetuates in terms of being a reapplicant hurting students chances which is really at the core of this question yes it is do, do i have to like put a scarlet letter on me saying i'm a re-applicant? <laughs> uh, and it's just it's not the case um, right
1: so. exactly yeah, yeah. So no, no, no issues. Just answer honestly. And, and you'll, you know, you and, and they're going to ask you if you're a re-applicant, what you've done to improve your application since the last application cycle. And uh, and then, you know, that's where you have a chance to say, well, I did this, that and the other thing. and I improved this or I did more clinical stuff or whatever.
2: Yep Yep. yep.
0: OK. And then last early question here. I've been looking into scribe opportunities. I was wondering if you had any advice on how to become a scribe, if certification is required or a good idea, and what uh, some credible resources might be to get me on the right path. Thanks in advance.
2: Yeah,
0: it's interesting. I had a physician reach out to me uh, who I think just started a scribe company or a scribe training company, and he was he was looking to get some promotion uh, through the medical school headquarters channels, but. Uh, I, I think uh, obviously there are the major scribe companies out there, with Scribe mm-hmm. America being the biggest. Um, and, and actually, I've been talking to them uh, about potentially getting mapped in the hands of all of their scribes. So um, that that would awesome. be interesting. But they have their own training program, right? They, yeah. they have all yeah. their own training materials. They have their own curriculum. They have their own tests, uh, and uh, mm-hmm. it's not something typically that you have to have. It's it's not like you need to go get a phlebotomy certificate before you become a phlebotomist you for scribing you apply for a scribe job and then they train you
1: yep yeah and that's you know it's pretty significant amount of training and i think that that's cuz what what you'll find with a lot of the scribe companies is that they They require a certain uh, level of commitment. You know, if you're doing it part time, they're going to want two years of commitment. If you're doing it full time, they're going to want at least a year because they're putting a lot into you in terms of training. So, um, you know, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah,
0: it does. All right. Um, Let's get some questions here. Uh, Another question here from a student whose name isn't blocked out, so I won't put it on there Uh, in the application portal it allows for awards as an activity care category was i was wondering if it's important to include any awards on the application i received the departmental citation award which is given to one graduating student in the department or major is this something i can include there
1: yeah definitely um now w- what i would caution about is so for example with Amcas, you only have 15 places and so if you want to devote one of those you know, important 15 places to, to that, then that's up to you. Um, I don't know, you know, I, those departmental awards and stuff, I I don't know how much really impact those carry uh, to admissions committees because they don't know, you know, so for example, if you're at, let's say if you're at um, University of uh, Michigan, let's say, uh, a huge, uh, huge institution and you're in the biology department, you get the, the the best biology student of the year. That's that's pretty that's pretty significant. It's a big department and it's a big university and everything. But if you're in a small school and there's only seven people in your department, <laughs> you know, then, OK, well, out of our seven people, you know, you were the best. So I, I wonder about the, the impact that a, a, an award like that carries. Um, I don't think it's you know it's definitely not going to be a a a negative at all but i think what kind of impact that carries you know could be dependent on a lot of different things and so and if you you know wanted to vote one now like acomas and in tmdsas you have unlimited spots and so it's not an issue but amcas it could be an issue if you run out of spots
0: yeah it's it's one of those especially for amcas right the if you're going to use it for a spot is it just this one thing? And if it is, what can you say about it? I, yeah. I think it's a wasted use of a spot if all you're gonna say is, I received this award. Yeah. But if you can talk about potentially what went into receiving that award, how, is it, how are the awards being given out, then, then maybe it shows a lot about who you are because you received that award, not just yeah. that you received that award, yeah. right? It's the, the what versus so what. Exactly. Um, Next question here. I was wondering how to make a DO school list. I live in Illinois, so there's only one in my state. Which others should I apply to?
1: Mm. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think that most, you know, the vast majority of the DO schools are private schools. And so a lot of students who, who only have a limited number of options in their state, for example, or who are. Um, you know, drawn to osteopathic medicine or want to diversify their application, you know, look at DO schools and uh, and so you don't have the same level of uh, residency issues with a that you, with DO schools, most DO schools that you do with uh, that with do you do with with a lot of MD schools, and so you know, I would just say there's only about what Ryan there's like thirty some odd DO schools in the U S. Yeah, thirty five. ish um, yeah, that's what I was thinking. And uh, and so, you know, I think that's a pretty easy number to to look, you know, and, and I would say, look, look at location. Is this a location I would like to live in? Uh, look at costs. Most of the DO schools are more expensive than a lot of the MD schools are because they're private um, look at their curriculum, look at, um, what they say on their website. So same kind of thing is with the, you know, in general, but I think you can go a lot deeper into it because there's not as many schools to deal with.
0: Yeah. There are a few extra variables. So, so just kind of off the top, the, the normal school list behavior, at least in, in my mind is Location, as you mentioned, curriculum, class size, those types of things, mission, vision, um, particular outreach programs that may resonate really well with you. Uh, But then a few DO specific questions. Where are the students doing rotations? The, yeah. the far majority of DO schools are not affiliated with large academic medical centers. Correct. And so students have to disperse to the community. And there are certain schools where students have to, uh, at least as far as I'm aware, last time I heard, students are have, needing to go out and, and arrange their own clinical rotations and, and find find places to do those these rotations. And so students are... Doing two years at the institution, the the medical school, and then two years traveling around the rest of the United States to do these clinical rotations. And is that what you want? Are you up for the adventure or do you have a family that needs to be stable Mm -hmm. in one area? So I think those are some extra questions that you need to find out and and really answer for yourself as you're going to DO schools. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Good question here, when is the best time to mention children during a medical school application? Primary app, secondary app versus interview, thank you. I think everyone knows that children shall remain nameless and hidden, and uh, you n- you need to hide them, right Scott?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I So the, the short answer to the question is never. <laughs> uh, yeah. This should not be anything relevant to the application process at all. I mean, if you bring it up in your application, you know, so for example, I was working with a student recently who one of the issues that led him into really wanting to go into medicine was some complications with the birth of one of his children. And so, surrounding that so so part of this guy's seed in terms of his interest in medicines came from that so I could see in that particular case you know he's going into in his personal statement these issues with regard to his own child and the complications and the doctors and how that all went and blah 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 and so but in the vast majority of cases I think it's not you don't mention it yeah
0: I, I think it goes back to Uh, Kind of what I harp on all the time is don't bring your agenda to the application. Yeah. Really focus on telling your story. And yes, you having kids is part of your story, but it's not the story of kind of your journey to medicine, which is what the personal statement is. And like the story you told of, of the the student who you're working with uh, it, having kids and and Mm -hmm. medical issues with the kid, that's completely relevant to why they want to be a physician. And so it makes sense there, but don't, we're not saying completely avoid talking about it because it's just not appropriate. We're saying, don't just throw it in there because right. you think it's important to talk about. It's just, right. it'll just come out of left field and, and I'll be confused. Yeah. Um, and so yeah. if, if they're obviously, if you're part of the PTA and it's a very, uh, exciting and memorable act- activity that you do, put it in your activity list and mm-hmm. obviously it'll be, it'll be known that you're a parent. So yep. Yep. Um. there's, there's no issue with that.
1: Yeah. Agreed.
0: Does it look bad to quit your job to study for the mcat especially if you're someone combating a lower gpa so let me let me expand on this question a little bit because the heart of this question the the general frame of this question is can i stop an activity or will that look bad whether it's quitting a job for the mcat stopping activity that you're no longer getting anything out of, stopping one activity to do another activity that resonates with you more. Students are so fearful of stopping something for fear that it's going to look bad on an application.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think you're right. And, you know, I I think that in general, you have to pursue what you're passionate about and what you're getting that meaning out of, the so what part. If you're not getting a so what out of your activity, then, you know, you know don't do it. You know, find something else that's going to be more impactful to you and, and have more meaning in your in your life and in your pathway toward, toward medicine, uh, for sure. The concern that I have with this particular question, however, is this could easily be interpreted as you have the inability to have too much on your plate. And uh, so I, w- I worry about an admissions committee looking at this and saying, well, she quit her job or he quit his job in order to do the MCAT. We already see a sort of lower GPA, although you don't really say what the lower GPA is. So I don't know if it's really lower or not, but um and so it makes me wonder if, as a member of the admissions committee, is this person going to be able to handle medical school? Because you can't quit anything in medical school. You, you have to do everything. And uh, they don't have part-time medical school. You can't drop a class or whatever. So, you know, you got to be able to have a full plate and be able to handle the full plate. And there's lots of applicants out there who have... You know who are doing a gazillion different things and seem to be able to handle it. So I'm 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 a little worried about that. You know this this um the person that asked this question didn't really give a whole lot of information relevant to kind of you know giving more on the on the uh, of an answer. But I would say it it depends, but it does make me a little bit nervous.
0: Can you comment on how schools and app services verify activities? Some of my community service is self-driven, as well as other activities that occurred many years ago, so I'm not sure I have contact info anymore. So Scott, I know when you were the director of admissions at, at UT Southwestern, you would personally drive to every contact on a student's application and just verify with them, right? Or fly or fly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, forgot UT Southwestern big bucks. Yeah. They would fly. Yeah. You big everywhere. bucks. Okay. Yeah, we had a <laughs> private jet, private <laughs> jet.
1: <laughs> no, you know, I, I have never, I mean, I think in very weird circumstances um, there might be a situation where a, um, a activity sponsor or something might be contacted, but that would be way unusual. Um, We're really just depending on you to be um, accurate. I think AMCAS asks for contact information on the person that you were involved with or whatever, TMDSS doesn't do that. I, I can't remember about ACOMAS, but anyway, I think that the chances of somebody calling up the, now, you know, like I said, in a weird, bizarre set of circumstances, if something came up, then at least they might try to see. But I wouldn't worry about that. And some of you know the the questioner here says some of my activities were self-driven. And and I do think that self-driven activities are probably not as mm, I don't know what the right word is. I would say they they wouldn't have as much impact because in, in a self-driven activity, you can sort of do whatever you want to, whenever you want to. And there's no level of commitment that you have to do and reliability and dependability in terms of showing up when you're told to show up. And, you know, it's a little bit different because of that. So I, I think activities where you have to actually commit to doing it and uh, you've got sort of a, a structure around it, have a, have a little bit more meaning, but that's not to say that it's not going to be a negative, but it just may not be quite as, as as um um as good as as something that was uh more structured externally more structured yeah
0: yeah i think just schools don't have the bandwidth to to, check all this stuff so the the question comes down to what's to stop a student from fabricating these experiences and hours yeah
1: yeah. Yeah. There's really nothing to stop you doing that. And but I would say that if you're going to fabricate one thing in your application, the the chances are pretty good that you may fabricate other things. And eventually this is going to come back to bite you. I mean, the, the application services, the thing about it is that both at the application services upon verification, as well as the admissions committee members and specifically the staff of the admissions office, they deal with these things every day. And so you'd be surprised how if something looks a little weird, then they're gonna, you know, it, it might might be a little tiny red flag, but they're gonna they're gonna really look it up because they, they deal with this thing with these things just so often. And uh and so I you know it's a it's slippery slope to try to try to quonk around with something like that.
0: Yeah. I'm in the middle of watching the TV show Suits, which is off air now, but we're we're binge watching it. And it's it's all about a lawyer who uh, lied about going to Harvard Law. So I'm all about catching those
1: frauds. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Absolutely. The most common fraud that we that we would see and that we get recognized is letters of recommendation where they fabricate their own letter of recommendation. And uh, and you'd be surprised the, the 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 the. the things that they will go through to do to, uh, to fabricate those things. And, but, you know, it's often that we, we find, we figure it out and, wow. you know, and in that case, it's, it's pretty much a bit, you know, a black ball on you.
0: Yeah. And, and just, I, I think, Talking to you and talking to Enrique, who's also at TMDSAS, right? Um, when that kind of stuff happens, you go and notify the other application services, correct?
1: Oh yeah, we notify all of our member institutions, member medical schools, and then we notify AMCAS and, and ACOMAS ACOMAS uh, of the uh, of the thing, and and it, it holds a lot of water. So you know, you could get a, a a real you know bad reputation nationally for uh, something yeah. something that significant. Yeah. it's just not it, it's just not worth it. it you know it's just just not worth it
0: yeah yeah definitely okay how should i deal with this situation i took physics at another school in between my freshman and sophomore year and i got a c plus in physics one and two and a in the lab for physics one and two Obviously not the best, but was okay with the grade because it was a harder class. My advisor told me in the spring of sophomore year when planning classes that I should try to take them again junior fall um, in 2018, along with taking organic chem for the first time. I didn't do well and got an F in both organic chemistry and my assumption and, and either physics. physics. Yeah,
2: it cuts off, but the rest of the comment says both organic and physics. So, uh, the end of the comment is just wondering what to do now.
0: Yeah. Well, obviously, um, you're, you're going to have to take the classes again, right? Because those recent grades are F, so you're going to have to take them again. Usually, it's it's the recent grade, not necessarily the best grade. Correct?
1: Yeah, yeah. What the? Well, the medical schools are going to calculate everything, and so the the take and the retake
0: are going to yeah, correct. But in GPA. terms of like a passing grade
1: for the yes, they'll class. take the they'll take the, the 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 latest grade there. Yeah. You know, my concern here is a bigger, more deep, a, a, a deeper concern is why is this student having having already had physics one and two making it, you know C plus isn't a great a great grade but it is passing and then in the and then a year later they're they're failing both classes, yeah. one of which they've already had the material. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a bigger, deeper problem. And there's a lot of, I mean, this is not uncommon to take physics and in, in OCHEM together uh, at a lot of institutions. And so I, I have real concerns about, you know, it, it, to me, the, the, what this student needs to be doing is not thinking about taking and retaking and all that stuff. There needs to be some deeper reflection here to say, why am I struggling in yeah. these classes? Because if you're struggling in OCHEM and physics, taking those at the same time, having already had physics, this is a this is a big, a big red flag. Yeah,
0: my my guess uh, and kind of going not necessarily back, at least this this episode, but previous episodes talking about the whole four year institution versus community college. Right. Right. Community college. My assumption is that the summer classes were taken at a community college. And they took physics at a community college and then went back to the four-year university, and it was either harder or just the combination of OCHEM with physics made it harder. Um, right. So, again, it's, it's one of those potential black marks on community college, at least in in the eyes of that one institution or that one yeah. student. So, yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you. I think at, at the end of the day, uh, I always push students to self-reflection. Why Why did I struggle here? What happened? Mm-hmm. Was there... Was there a change in everything else that the student was doing? was was there a bigger kind of non-academic workload in terms of work uh, or other responsibilities to the family or whatever? Yeah, uh, the student said it's a state school for both, so four year four- year institutions for both. so um, mm. yeah, I, I don't know. so I, I think it's a lot of self-reflection and then obviously, yeah. Going very slowly uh, in terms of moving forward, knowing that these missteps are already there and, and kind of committing yourself to, to not make any more.
1: Yeah. And I think for this student, I think also seeking out um, seeking out assistance at your institution uh, for study skills. You know, maybe there needs to be a shift in, in study skills. Maybe there are time management issues here. Uh, there could be learning disabilities here. so I think you need to seek assistance from your, your institution uh, to, to find out really what's going on with this. Uh, you, you know you you don't need to depend on yourself. I mean this is a, an important uh, crucial time in, in the history of your of your journey uh, life journey and, and potentially journey into medicine and I think if you can't get this, this issue worked out, then it doesn't bode well in my view uh, because medical school is going to be 10 times more or a hundred times more uh, than, than, than those two classes uh, together. And so seek out institutional aid. Um, All schools have counseling centers. All schools have study school centers, you know, et cetera. There's a lot of resources available at these particularly state schools. And so I would say find out what's going on
0: agree If someone already has upwards of 3000 hours of research wow well, is it bad to choose a clinical research assistant position over a scribe position for clinical experience currently trying to choose between two job op- excuse me two job offers for next
1: January Well lucky you yeah. two job <laughs> offers huh. Well, I think, you know, my feeling is it depends a little bit on what your interests are and what your past clinical experience is. If you if you're pretty limited on clinical experience, then I'm a little a little worried about that in terms of finding, um, you know, finding a job that's going to really help in your because you don't really say. I'm, I'm guessing that the research that you've done is basic science research. So and it would depend a little bit on the clinical research. Position and if it's strictly just research, are you going to have some ability to do some clinical stuff within the context of that? Um, So I'm a little I don't think there's enough information here to really make a a clear decision on what what we what you should do. So I think it depends a little bit on kind of what past clinical experiences you have and and uh, what that what that really looks like, etc.
0: Yeah. So let's let's assume that that the new research position has a good amount of clinical, so maybe it's a, like a clinical research coordinator mm-hmm. type position where mm-hmm. there's, there's, a lot of interaction with the patient. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I typically lean toward do whichever one you think is going to float your boat more. Absolutely.
1: I, I agree with that. Assuming, you know, assuming some things but I, I completely agree with that. I think you ought to, you ought to think through as best you can, um, what, what you want to do. What does your gut tell you? And, uh, and do, you know, do that. But I I do say you need to look at your background and say, what, where are the strengths of my application so far? Where are the weaknesses? And let that also help guide you in terms of what, what you're going to be doing in those, you know, you know, that the the scribe position is going to be, you know, almost exclusively clinical, And uh, and so what's involved in that clinical research assistant position and uh, what your what your past experience has been. But ultimately, I think you got to choose what you uh, what floats your boat. Yep.
0: Do I need to do non-medical volunteering if I have a lot of clinical hours?
1: Well, that depends a little bit, I think. You know, some medical schools, uh, for example, there's a medical school here in Austin, and they're very community oriented. They're One of their big mission points is community involvement and, and you know, con- connection with the community and blah, blah, blah. And so what they look at, you know, they, they may look at a lack of community involvement or volunteering and stuff like that as, you know, this doesn't really fit with our mission. Um, so. Um, now, so it depends a little bit on kind of how much medical volunteering you have. Cause you say you have a lot of clinical hours. I'm assuming they're volunteer cl- clinical hours. Um, if, you know, I'm, I i do not know if some of them are paid or, or what. So I think it depends a little bit on kind of your, you know, your interest in, in what, what's going on with you and kind of what your past involvement has been as well as what schools you're really interested in looking at and what their sort of mission is with regard to community involvement and stuff. And because I, I, I'm pretty sure that the, the med school here in Austin Dell Medical School, um, they're going to, you know, they would look at, at community involvement as a pretty important thing. And so if you had, for example, your, your mindset on, on the school here, then a lack of that could be a, could, could, could be a bad thing.
0: Yeah, I think I think this question is really school dependent. There are some yeah. schools, as you mentioned, that are more heavily interested in community service and non-clinical volunteering and want to look for that in applications. And, and other schools don't really care as much. So it's yeah. a, a harder question to answer.
1: Yeah, agreed. I
0: currently work as a health and wellness care professional in a residential facility for children with autism autism and other cognitive and behavioral challenges. My primary duties are to administer the residents' medications, take residents to the various medical appointments, and monitor the health and well-being of the residents. Would this be considered clinical experience? Seems pretty obvious to me.
1: Yeah. I, yeah, <laughs> me too. Yeah, I I think it's definitely sounds clinical in my yeah.
0: view. I, I want to know for, for the student that that put that up there, and I'm not laughing at, at you. I want to know why you doubt it's potentially clinical experience. So so yeah. ask yeah. that because me understanding and us understanding why potentially you doubt it's clinical experience may help us in our kind of wording and, and messaging in mm-hmm. the future as mm-hmm. well. Great. Uh, But that, I mean, that is textbook, amazing clinical experience in my
1: mind. Oh yeah. I completely, completely agree with that.
2: All right. If that person comments again, I'll circle back. Meanwhile, we've got another long one, but I think you'll get the gist
0: back when i lived in sweden i was sim- uh, a simultaneous interpreter between 2016 and 2018 swedish to english and vice versa for charity events and accrued about 300 volunteer hours this was a really important time in my life and i definitely have a quote so what for this activity see they're already using our language all right woohoo! <laughs> however it was a long time ago considering i won't be applying to medical school until the summer of 2022 even though i do have plenty of more recent volunteering And clinical experience that i'm involved in currently should i can i
1: put this on my application
2: (laughs) yeah exactly they want to know if they can include it
1: yeah oh i i think so for sure yeah yeah i mean this is you know involvement with people and you know sounds like a pretty uh strong commitment that they had with the with the events and stuff and uh so i would say absolutely yeah put it on your The
0: the, the key thing for me was the, they have a, so what for the activity, right? It was meaningful for them. Yes. Then, and I think if, if I die tomorrow, which hopefully I won't, um, all right. If I can get across to all of you listening, right. What is meaningful to you is what you should focus on. Not, well, it was a long time ago and maybe medical schools don't want to see this and it wasn't clinical and then like, was it meaningful to you? let's talk about it
1: yeah yeah absolutely i agree
2: all right we'll move on then we've got another one about grades
0: similar to the previous question about physics and orgo after getting a c in gen chem 2 lecture and b plus in gen chem 2 lab at my first four-year university where it was a three-credit lecture and one credit lab I was a new transfer student at another four-year university that had a two-credit lecture and a two-credit lab for Gen Chem 2, and I had to retake it. I got a C-plus in lecture and a C-minus in lab after going through many personal issues on top of adjusting to a new school. I did well in Orgo 1 and 2, as well as something, something, something. Yeah. Hmm. Another student who, who struggled two in a row.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think chemistry is interesting to me. You know, some people really connect with Gen Chem and don't connect with O Chem and and vice versa. You know, so it, it's really interesting. I think it, it's a lot because they're very different. General chemistry and o- organic chemistry are super different from from each other. And so I think that sometimes it really is um it, th- it depends on how you think and, and you know, how your mind works and stuff like that in terms of what you're going to connect with in, in terms of the material. If you did well in OCHEM, that's a good sign. Uh, but um, in terms of the application to medical school, they're going to look at the, the better grade, but it, there would, there might be questions, you know, from a, a admissions committee standpoint is why is this, You know, why is the students, you know, number one, they're going to sort of wonder why you took it twice. And, you know, it's pretty clear to me on the administrative side of things, why you why you would have taken it twice because your institution, your new institution forced you to. Um, But, you know, so I would say if that's the only blip on your record, then I wouldn't really worry about it too much. I don't think you should retake it or anything. but so.
2: The commenter did also say that they're currently in a post-bac, so they're working on some redemption. Good. Okay. It's yeah. Just, it was the part that got cut off. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Okay.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think post program sounds, you know, I, I definitely it kind of sounds like if they're in a post-bac program, then there may be other issues beyond just this Gen Chem thing. Uh, so post program seems to be probably a good idea for the, for the students.
2: well we seem to have come to the end of our questions we had a steady stream there for good 45 minutes
1: yeah yeah that was a good steady stream yeah
0: um for for all of you watching right now listening right now um in mapped last week we announced uh, and pushed out the first bit of feedback where we can take the the very specific details that you are putting into maps, your courses, your hours, et cetera, uh, MCAT scores. Um, let us know in these comments or in the mapped group in general, the types of feedback maybe that you're waiting for, the type of feedback that you're hoping for. Uh, we have a list that, that we're crafting right now and we'll push out pretty soon, mostly centered around um, kind of timing with the new application cycle coming up Um, and what else Rachel what are some of the other specifics there
2: yeah so a lot of stuff specific to timing of the new cycle Mm -hmm. some stuff around registering for the MCAT um, and then some stuff around getting your data in and some of your basic uh, things accomplished and although we do talk a lot about trying not to think about it as a checklist we do want to celebrate some of those milestones along the way so You know, once you hit 50 hours in clinical, for example, you'll get a little yay from us. (laughs) Um, uh, But yeah, actually,
0: we can actually, I'll I'll have someone develop a badge and we can put that badge in the feedback too.
2: mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, like Brian said, you know, we've got a long list of things that we think we want to get feedback on, but, um, you know, we're interested to know like what topics are, what things in your application have you guys nervous? And you know what we often see in these um, ask the deans are really specific scenarios, right? Here's my exact history, and and that's fine. I understand that's the way you're thinking about it, but the more you can think in terms of, you know, uh, the way it applies to others. So I want to know if one C plus is okay, but four C pluses is bad. <laughs> you know, like that kind of question. That helps us translate it to how it's not just going to impact you, but the way we can make a query and make feedback for anyone else in a similar situation.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. Exactly. By the way, uh, we had somebody uh, ask a question earlier about um, texting um, therapy or texting listeners and stuff. And they mentioned this company called seven cups. Do you remember that? A question, yeah, yeah. Brian. And yep. anyway, yeah, I looked it up, and and it seems to be a reputable thing, and it's something that you know, something that might be very applicable to students who are looking for something during during COVID. That it says that they have over um, one hundred and eighty thousand, no, one hundred and eighty professional therapists and over three hundred thousand trained listeners to help over twenty five million people. So yeah, just a cool. just a heads up.
0: All right. One student here said GPA feedback for sure. That's definitely um, I I actually just added for our development team to add a couple more kind of data points, um, including like first 30 hours of, of GPA, first 60 hours of GPA, last 30 hours of GPA so that we can start to do some comparisons and give give some feedback on your specific trends on where you're struggling. So let's say you're, you're, you you're just finished your first year, you have th- roughly 30 hours put in, we can then um, kind of trigger some feedback to say, great job, after 30 hours, you're on the right track, keep it up. Or if you're not on that path, um, potentially give you some feedback on, on where to seek out some additional resources on where you're struggling. So that's definitely the, the type of feedback that we're looking for. Definitely. Yeah.
2: yeah, and I guess what I would remind everyone, and not not as, a, you know, a vote against GPA feedback, but to kind of underscore it, is there is that deep D- GPA detailed page, and there's also the GPA projection. So, you know, we're always talking about looking at GPA trends. Make sure you're not just looking at the graph, but you're clicking through to the detail. You're looking at the way, not just the way your QM evolves over time, but the way each year looks and you know kind of dig into those numbers too and then see if that bubbles up more specific questions than just the big picture snapshot
0: yeah i'll share my screen here real quick and what you're you're talking about in terms of that gpa detail and it's it's a little hard to to look, find and where we're hopefully going to make it a little bit better in the future but we have this more detail button here which will bring you to some different graphs where we can start to see some trends uh, laid out number wise and, and see some graphs on where things are going. These are, these are good trends. We like to see up and up and up and up uh, uh, and, and see some details here. And then on this page, there's also projected GPA um, uh, calculator here to say, hey, I have 60 more credits, and if I get a 3.8, where, where am I going to be? It uh, looks like maybe there's still a little bug here with this one. Well, these are all pretty close, so maybe that's not. Um, yeah, cool. So that's what Rachel was talking about with, with that detail.
1: Awesomeness. All
2: right. Well, I'm glad that we got uh, a nice showing of folks to attend live. I know a lot of people signed in into the group so they could catch the replay later, too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. well, well and I, I for
1: think coming. I think we ought to send out best wishes to everybody I think a lot of people are in the midst of final exams and so positive vibes for all you guys out there who are struggling through finishing up the semester um you know we'll we're, we're thinking about you and and hopefully you'll do well and and be able to enjoy your holidays
2: and don't forget to eat your water
1: that's right <laughs> <laughs> water unless it's an ice cube
2: no i mean like fruits and vegetables
1: oh there you know,
2: like like it's better to stay hydrated through fruits and vegetables than chugging a bottle of water right before an exam so yeah. i'm just reminding you no, to eat your good. water no, never mind i was thinking i'm sorry. not a doctor just i'm just like, being practical you,
1: you like crunch <laughs> on ice or something i don't know
2: carrots <laughs> celery carrots i love carrots
0: yeah. i had carrots and hummus for lunch and i had a clementine oh, nice. earlier today is that oh,
2: yummy. great example of your water and getting your protein i'm proud yeah. of you ryan
1: all right. Woo-hoo. That's, that's awesome try. that's awesome <laughs> all
0: right guys thanks everyone all for right take care
2: week. good
1: night bye
0: this is dr gray again closing out i hope you learned something from our session today if you haven't yet checked out mapped i invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.